This is the Master Marketer Show, powered by Proofpoint Marketing. Each week, we explore the mindsets, skill sets, and tool sets the top B2B marketers use to drive results. Gain actionable insights, one masterful, revenue-generating success story at a time. Let's get started. Everybody, welcome back to the Master Marketer Show. Today, we've got Nick Bennett with us. Nick is the Director of Evangelism and Customer Marketing for Alice. Nick, this is a conversation, what, about a year in the making, I think? So I'm yeah. glad we can finally do it. Absolutely. Excited to be here. Awesome. Well, we're going to be talking about some really fun stuff today. Obviously, for anybody who doesn't know you, you're a big personal brand evangelist, and we're going to be talking about how personal brands can drive revenue and retention, especially since your new role is all about retention. So um, to really dive right in, I think kind of maybe set the stage is, uh, you know, personal branding is hard work for sure. And I think it's a, it's a mindset shift that people need to make to okay, this is not just self-promotion, but I'm actually doing this for a specific purpose and here's what it can do. So maybe let's talk about, start the conversation with what are the, what's the mindset that somebody needs to have to effectively build a personal brand that actually has business in it? Yeah, I mean, you, you hit it though. I think it's so important that like, self-promotion isn't going to really get you anywhere, especially early on. Like it's all about the value. And so I kind of break it down into five different buckets. So it's like, all right, clarity. That's, that's number one, having a clear goal focused solely on your target audience. Like who are you going after? Is it marketers? Is it salespeople, rev ops, it, whatever you need to have a clear goal defined. Um, and when I started out, I actually didn't have one. It took me a little bit to find that clarity, but it was something that I now know and has helped me kind of help a lot of other marketers in that same boat. So I think that's kind of number one. Number two, I think how, is- How did you, before you go on, how yeah. did you find that clarity? Because I think a, a lot of people would struggle with that. It's it's one thing to say, you need to find clarity. Yeah. What was your process? Or what, so, what's the process you recommend to people now that you've done it? Yes, I think for me, I think it's focusing on like what your niche is. Like it was easier for me because it was like field marketing. No one talked about field marketing on LinkedIn. Like still to this day, you know, 700, 800, I don't even know how many users are on LinkedIn, but like no one talks about field marketing and the misconceptions, how it impacts revenue, things like that. So it was, it was easy for me to focus on that aspect. And then my goal, I was like, what do I want to do? I just want to inform people. I want to help people know that Field marketing isn't just events. It's not just showing up and having your enterprise sales team tell you, hey, you're my event planner, go plan this event. Um, or it's not standing at a booth and scanning 500 leads and saying, oh, look, sales team, I've got all these MQLs for you that no one's going to buy and you're going to be wasting your time. So I think it was it was understanding what that aspect of it was. And for us and for Alice, we sell to marketers. And like I was a previous customer before I went there. And I'm connected to a lot of other field marketers, ABM, demand gen people that we sell to on a regular basis and in the communities that they are as well. So it just made a lot of sense on having that clarity. I just didn't, it took me, it literally took me probably about three or four months to really figure that out because I was just posting content around field marketing because someone challenged me at my previous company 
Like you should build a personal brand, talk about field marketing. All right. I love a good challenge. Like, what am I doing though? I'm just putting out value or at least in my mind, but I didn't have a clear mind on what I want to get from this. So what, I guess, what, how did you get the clarity in terms of what you wanted to get from it? And I guess maybe describe what that is right now. Yeah. So I think it was more just self-reflection of understanding, like, what does the end goal look like for me? the more and more that I thought about it, I just didn't want to ever have to apply to a job again um, or write a cover letter, which like, it was something where I was like, all right, I'm just going to use LinkedIn as a way to build up my network and build up, you know, people that are like-minded to me that one, I want to learn from, but two, if I was ever to get laid off or something, I can hopefully put something out there that says like, Hey, I lost my job. Hopefully I would have lots of other opportunities that popped in and I just kind of said, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And so I focused on the value driven aspect of it. And yeah, I did field marketing for a while. Then I did the ABM piece of it. And now I talk about a lot of, I don't say random stuff because I still have my core things that matter to me, but I don't just talk about one single topic anymore. And I think that's kind of now opened up my mind where I only really want to add value and add value around topics that I know or I think I could add value around. And it's not about the follower count. It's not about the revenue streams that can come from it. It's really just to help one person a day. That's kind of always been my mindset. Like I just want to help people understand that there's a better way to do something or open up my eyes. It challenged me like it's okay. Like if I don't no, like if I post something and you want to go against me and say like, Hey, I would recommend doing this instead. Like, please do. Like, I'm not just saying what I post is the end all be all like open up my eyes and I'm open to a respectful conversation. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, I interrupted you. You were, you were talking about five buckets. We got through one. <laughs> no, uh, what are the other four? Yeah. So I think the second one is your, your story matters. So I just feel like, you know, we all know this people buy from people. And I think that people connect with stories and real life emotions. And so I think the personal touch is significant. Um, and I feel like that's partly why I've been able to drive a lot of revenue within Alice is because I talk about things. I talk about my daughter. I mean, you do it. You guys do it as well. Like you talk about personal stuff that isn't always just work related. And I feel like people understand you as a human versus you just as like another persona that's out there. Um, and when you can connect on a deeper level, I feel like that gets people to want to work with you because people still work from people. So I think your story does matter. And personally, when I'm reading stuff on LinkedIn, I connect more to the, um, the posts that actually tell a story of like, Hey, I did this, or I went through this, here's what I learned, or here's how I feel. Like I enjoy those more than like a one line or a two line or like, go do this. You'll be awesome. But it doesn't actually tell me anything about it or get me to learn about someone. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I totally agree. The we were just having a conversation with a client uh, recently. It was a one one of their business development people, and we're working on optimizing their LinkedIn profiles. And this is an engineering firm, uh, Kelly. If you're listening, we're talking about you. Um, uh, you know, she's she's an engineer, and she used to work uh, as a government contractor on submarines. I'm like, put that in your profile. I'm like, how many people have done that? How many people have had that experience? Like, that's just an awesome story to tell. Talk about that. Yeah. It could, couldn't agree more. And like people, I feel like people don't lean into that though, because they don't, 
I don't know if it's they don't want to be vulnerable or they don't want to feel like they're being judged. But something I realized early on is like the moment that you hit post on any type of social media content, like people are going to judge you for good or bad. Like they'll they may never say it to you, but like I'm sure and I know I have people that like don't always agree with my content and like. I've heard it through rumblings where it's just like, you know, he talks about things like, why does he talk about this? Or like, why does he think about this this way? And like, some people aren't okay with that. Like, they feel like they don't like confrontation or anything like that, or like people talking bad about them. So I don't know. I think people, and this is kind of the third one that I was going to actually go into is like, wear your brand upon your sleeve. So like, live in your truth, like be your authentic self. And I think when you're your authentic self, like people can, yeah, connect more, but your content isn't going to be for everyone. And that's okay too. Like I'm sure, you know, I scroll and like, there's things that I read where I'm just like, you know, you got, you know, a thousand likes on this and I don't even understand like the value or like what came of this? Like, how did you even do this? Like it, super fluffy to me. Um, but I don't know, it happens. So like, I always try to be my authentic self, like be who I would be if you were to go have a beer with me in person. Um, and I feel like that has personally helped me a ton because I get a lot of DMs that will be like, you know, Nick, thank you so much for talking about this. Like you are, you know, so relatable, um, in everything that you post. And like, they, they don't put it on my actual comments on the post, but like they, I get like, I would say probably three to four DMs um, every couple of days where it's like people just like saying thank you and thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for talking about things people don't talk about, stuff like that. So I think being authentic is definitely important. Um, I think the next one is there's always a downside. And so what I mean by that is you need to be ready for repeated trial and error, mistakes and failures through your content um, because instant per perfection is a myth. And I, I don't know why people try to say there's overnight hacks because there's not. Like it took me six months of posting every single day, five days a week before I saw any traction on LinkedIn. And it took me a year before I saw like half decent like a tr like um like engagement and it was just like you know i could have quit a lot of people fall off on the consistency aspect because they focus on it for two to three months they don't see anything they're like well i was posting five days a week for like three months like i should have hundreds of likes now per post but it doesn't work with that it's like you need to treat linkedin and everything that you do as a community and focus on that aspect of it and then the last piece that I would say is leave your legacy. So I think it's important beyond building your repu reputation and community. Like you need to get people to remember who you are. And like for me, people always remembered me as like the field marketing guy. Like, oh, you have field marketing questions? Go talk to Nick. And I feel like that's now shifted a little bit. Um, it was funny. I was talking to Devin Reed the other day and um he was just like he's like you know i think of you as like a personal branding person now versus more of a, a field marketer and maybe that's because i've gotten away from the field marketing role um but it, it opened up my eyes and it was like it was interesting it was like what do i want to be known for because it used to always be field marketing i wanted to be the person that brought field marketing 2.0 into the path i wanted to be the one that shows how field marketing drives real revenue within a company, how the personal brand ties into that. And then I switched roles. And I feel like 
even knowing I'm still connected to a lot of field marketers and I feel like that's who I will always be, it's somewhat escaping of like that legacy that I'm leaving. And it's more of like Nick Bennett as a person versus like the field marketer, if that makes sense. It does. And I think it gets at maybe something you, you didn't explicitly mention, but I think implicitly uh, have in there, which is this is meant to evolve over time, right? Like I think it doesn't have to connect to your role forever, especially since people switch jobs, people switch roles. Um, and I think also that's where a lot of folks maybe struggle, which is they think of it as, oh, well, you know, my company is going to use my personal brand, whatever. Well, if you think about what's your mission, like you, you said at the very beginning, which is I don't want to apply to a job ever again. Right. Right. Like that's your personal goal of why you're doing this. And you're doing that while also benefiting the companies that happen to employ you, which I think is actually a good transition to, you know, maybe some of the, the other stuff we want to talk about, which is okay. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, we'll talk about the results, but what are the skill sets? Okay, we talked about mindsets that somebody needs to have. What skills does somebody need to, you know, consistently create content, especially content that's valuable, etc.? Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 understanding the ICP of who you're trying to reach. It's like, are you going after the marketers? Like, do you want to go after a specific niche within marketing? Is it the field marketers? There are ABM marketers. Like I created a lot of content on field marketing, ABM, but I don't create content on demand gen because it's not something that I know as much. I can speak to it high level, but I don't think I can add value there. There's plenty of people like Chris Walker and others that talk about that on a regular basis. Um, so I think it's, and I don't want to say like stay in your swim lane because I don't think that's always the case. But for me, it was like, I understood field marketing and ABM. And so I just stayed in my swim lane of like, all right, I know this, like the back of my hand, I can add value. I can talk about the programs that I'm running. I can talk about the successes and the failures that I've seen. Like, I mean, a perfect example, when I joined Alice a little over a year ago, I was hired to build out ABM from scratch. And so I created the target list. We had 50 accounts. Everything was good. We were going one-to-one -one on these 50 accounts. And I opened almost 70% of them in a quarter and a half. Sounds amazing, right? The issue was that being a small team at the time, I think we only had like five marketers on, on the team. Um, I didn't have any deal acceleration plays in place. And so I opened up all this pipeline Everyone was like, oh, this is awesome. You're opening up the pipeline. But there was a lack in enablement for our sales team, for our BDR team. They treated these opportunities just as any other opportunities. And so there was the, the lack of that piece and a lot of the opportunities fell flat. So I talked about the failure of, you know, hey, like I thought I did a good job. This is what I did wrong. This is where I think I could have done better. And so many people reached out to me and were like, thank you for, for talking about this because I have made those similar mistakes and we're starting a new ABM program. And they were like, you know, I've been trying to like think about this more and reframe a lot of what 
make sense for that. And so if I can just help from that aspect of like the successes or failures that I've seen and help someone else create an awesome program or avoid the mistakes that I made, then I think that's the type of content that will really help others that will help you excel and start to build your own little network. Yeah, I love that. And I'm going back to uh, something you said earlier in terms of, you know, like how are people who are creating this fluffy content getting, you know, hundreds <laughs> or thousands of likes or whatever it is, like, how did this even happen? I think the something I was going to ask you is, well, how, how do you avoid doing that as you're doing this work? I think you just described it, which is you have to get into the details and you have to be open about the good and the bad, which most people are not for the reasons you mentioned earlier. Um, and I think the, the reason why the, a lot of this fluffy stuff works is because I think there's this, you know, kind of confirmation bias. Like everyone wants to be like, Oh yeah, I agree. I agree with that general statement too. I can't tell you anything more about it, but yes, thumbs up. Right. But it, it, it get taking it any further is impossible unless you've actually done the work and most people just haven't done the work. And I think that's the difference that you're talking about, which is I've done the work. I've screwed up plenty. I've also had some great successes. Here's both. And here's what you, here's what I think you should do now. Exactly. And like, that's why it was so easy to go down the field marketing. So many questions that I got because people just thought field marketing was events and they were just like, Oh, so like, like you just show up to trade shows. Right. And I'm just like, please don't tell me that like, as a marketer, like you think trade shows is going to really bring you any like strong ROI, um, which I've had heated debates on LinkedIn that like people are very pro trade show and there's lots that are like, you know, no way trade shows are terrible. I'm not saying trade shows are terrible, but a lot of people do them for the wrong reasons. And I think going in with the right mindset, and if I can help others talk about what that mindset should look like in my mind from the revenue aspect and the successes that I've seen, then great. Like people won't just show up and scan 500 leads, go give that to an SDR at a call and then wonder why nothing's actually happening from it. Yeah. So uh, let's talk more about skills. So if we're talking about creating that personal brand, that's going to drive business impact. Uh, yeah, we, we talked a little bit about content. I don't know if there's anything else you want to add to um, skills you need to have to create good content. I think it's more of just like you mentioned earlier, like just doing the work. I feel like that's the best type of content. Like anyone can create content, but if you're not doing the work and understanding how this plays into the larger picture, then it's a little bit tougher, especially if you're, you know, you own your own business is even easier because you are the person that's doing all of this. You can speak to so many different aspects of it. Like I can, I've only ever worked for companies as an employee. So like I can talk to a small, you know, sliver of that, but I've never run marketing or anything like that, but I just talk about everything that I have experienced. And then I do, you know, I'll be completely honest with you. Like I mix in stuff that could be seen as a little bit more fluffy, but like to, to you know, I post two times a day and five days a week. And so to do 10 posts a week and to immediately like to talk about, you know, successes, failures, programs that you're running 10 times a week, like you're going to run out of stuff to talk about. So I mix in a lot of like, just, you know, stuff about staying positive. Or I t talked about the other day, which was really interesting about equity. Like no one, like should companies be giving their employees equity? And if so, it's only ever talked about at the executive and the VP level. Like the IC is like people like me, I've gotten equity five times now. 
I, I never knew what I was doing. I was basically just Googling stuff on an internet to see if this is a good deal or not until I built a network of VPs and CMOs that I could say like, hey, I'm exploring this opportunity. Here's some equity that they're, they're offering me. Here's everything that goes along with it. Like, is this, is this a decent deal or am I just basically getting taken advantage of? And so like so many people love that. And so I have to mix in those types of things, but I've tried to do a good job balancing both. Well, and I don't see that kind of stuff as fluff either, because that's, again, that's personal experience that you right. can now talk to. Very true. Right? And I think, I think that's the thing for people to think about too is, you know, actually, I'm curious on your thoughts. Like, do you think you could have gone broader in your topic set to start with, or do you believe that the right way to do it is you pick your niche, build your audience that way, and then expand? So I feel like I probably, so when I started, it was March of 2020. So like right as the pandemic was, was starting to happen. And I feel like it was still at the point where not a ton of people were posting content. I mean, people were, but like, I feel like it was still 1% at the time. That was like a LinkedIn stat that they, they put out. And I probably could have went broader. I feel like now, I thought I read something recently that was saying, uh, LinkedIn put it out that like 4% of their users are creating content now. So it's up 3% over the last two years. And I'm assuming a lot of people also did it because one, like they're trying to never hopefully have to apply to a job again. Like they're using it as like a pandemic hobby or something like that, or did just wanted to take up and start to make it more of a passion. But you know, that's a big increase considering that's when you huge. have mil millions of users um, to stand out. And so I feel like now, cause I get this question a lot from like people that want to start out. They're like, do I just like go broad? And I'm like, I don't think it's too late, but I feel like it is starting to get very crowded on there. Um, and especially on like the marketing side and lots of people talk about demand gen, like capture, like creating demand, things like that. Like, unless you have a strong POV or you can differentiate yourself somehow, it's going to be hard to stand out. And like, if you asked me like, you know, two years ago, if I would have done like talk about film marketing now, I probably would have like taken that approach now as well, because again, no one's talking about that. It would have been easier to stand out, but even ABM, for example, so many more people are talking about ABM. So many more people are talking about personal branding, like digital paid ads, things like that. It's just, unless you have a strong point of view, it's becoming harder to stand out. And I'm assuming that 4%, Give it another year, two years, like who knows? Maybe it's at eight, ten percent. I don't know. It, it it will be interesting to see how that continues to grow. Yeah, I think something to make sure people understand is, you know, you can look at it in two ways. It's the same number, but oh well, it increased by three percent nominally, but really that's a three hundred percent increase in people creating content. Right. Right. Which if you think about in terms of how crowded things get, and again, it's probably I'm sure it's different by industry. I'm guessing it's maybe like 8% of marketers and 2% of engineers or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Which actually, I, I was going to ask you, do you think any of this changes for some of these more like non-marketing, like technical functions, say engineering? We do, we deal with a lot of engineers. So that's a top of mind for me. I, I think, you know, I am starting to see more and more um, engineers create content. And so right before, so I, Right before I worked for Alice, I worked for a company called Logs that was in the, they were in the developer and engineer space. Um, and so I should clarify when I say engineers, I mean more like electrical engineers, uh, mechanical engineers, like those types of engineers, okay, not okay. software engineers. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. You know, it is interesting because I do feel like 
I worked for a company, Plan Grid, which we sold to you know construction sites and, and honestly, a lot of electrical engineers as well, and they mm -hmm. were acquired by Autodesk. But um, we helped digitize their blueprints. And I do remember at the time, because I was starting to explore more and more of like, does this make sense? And like, there was, there was none of them really creating content like two and a half, three years ago. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like as long as you connect with the right people, and I don't know if there's like what the audience size for like electrical engineers and other types of like engineers that are out there, like what that looks like. There's, you know, it's obviously a sales heavy, marketing heavy platform um, in IT in general, but like, is there a lot of electrical engineers in there? Probably like as long as you're connecting with the right people and then creating content for them, who cares with like the others, you have to curate what your feed and what your your kind of connection looks like and whether it's 10 people or, you know, hundreds of people or whatever, like you're creating content for them. And if you can connect with even just a couple of them, um, they'll still, you know, it's going to be a smaller number probably, but it's not always about like the quantity. It's all about the quality, even if it's, if it's to a smaller subset of people. Yeah, for sure. You just mentioned, you know, mentioned connecting with the right people and, and curating your feed which I think is also an important skill to hone. Maybe talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. So, you know, I've always, in the past, I used to always just accept, you know, connection requests from everyone. And I used to just like go out and randomly, anyone in marketing, I would send a connection request or sales or like whatever. It didn't really matter to me. And then I was like, I'm seeing all this content on my feed and it's just like, it's not relevant to me. It's stuff that like, I don't care about or like doesn't add any value. And so I started to unfollow people that it just didn't make sense. And then when LinkedIn came out with like the, the creator mode or whatever, where it created or turned your connection button into a follow button, I was like, all right, this makes a lot more sense now. I'm going to allow anyone to follow me. Like, I don't care. You can follow me. Doesn't matter where you are in the world, what industry, what your role is. Like, if you want to follow me for me, absolutely. However, when people send connection requests to me, I will usually go view their profile. I'll see the number of shared mutual connections that we have. I'll see what kind of industry they're in, what their role is, um, where they are in the world. Does it make sense for us to connect? Like, am I going to get value out of having this person in my feed? And I'm going to look and see, do they create content or are they just the type of person that will consume? Um, and so I, it's, it's made things a lot better thinking about it from that mindset and when I connect with people, I actually don't send as many connection requests anymore. I probably send about five a week, um, if that. And I just focus on the people that are similar, like field marketers, ABM marketers, people that I want to learn from, people from our target accounts that I want to connect with to hopefully learn more about, that they'll see then my content from posting every day. Um, it's become more strategic, I should say. What are your thoughts on tool sets in terms of, okay, I'm going to do all this. Like, you know, that, that's always something that, that people tend to ask is what do I need to do this? <laughs> so what do you think? Yeah, it's, it's tough because I'm, I'm not, so I don't write anything down. I don't pre-write my post. I don't pre-write any content. I don't store notes anywhere. 
Um, I think of what I want to talk about every morning and I will try to remember it by the time I get out of the shower back to my phone. Um, but it, that doesn't work for everyone. And I also don't spend longer than five minutes creating the actual post itself because I would much rather engage with the community that I've built up and get to know people and build real relationships. So I'm like, why spend, you know, 34, I, I talked to someone the other day that said they spend 45 minutes creating a post every single time they post. And I was like, think about how much time you're wasting. I was like, then you have to go and this, this is a CEO of a company. Then you have to go and then basically engage with all these people. He's like, I'm, he's like, I can't keep up with it. I'm literally in meetings. Like I'm trying to get things going. He's like, I'm having a hard time, like figuring out, like to get that 45 minutes down, even to like 15 or 20 minutes. Um, and so it's, it's not easy and that was something that I always like focused on. I was like, you know, I'm just going to focus on the five minute rule. If I, if I think of it over five minutes, I'm going to overanalyze it. I'm going to be very indecisive and I'm never going to do anything with it. And it's worked out really well for me. That's been my rule for the last two years. Um, the only, the only tool I do use is shield and it's more from the, the LinkedIn analytics standpoint. I want to see is the specific content that I'm creating around, you know, field marketing or personal branding or whatever, is that resonating with people? Because what I've noticed in the last three months on LinkedIn is that when I create content that is marketing focused and actual, what I think of value of like tangible stuff, it doesn't do very well. Um, however, when I post about non-marketing stuff, personal stories, um, personal branding, like those seem to do extremely well. And I was like, it's really weird because when I started out, it was the complete opposite. The marketing stuff did really, really well. And when I talked about non-marketing stuff, it didn't do well. And I feel like within the last three to four months, it started to change a little bit and flip around. And I think that now people more so understand who I am as a person, what I'm passionate about, what I care about. They want to read my content because of me versus like they're reading content because they know you talk about a specific aspect within marketing. It's interesting because I, I see that again, my, my audience is much smaller than yours, but I see a very similar, <clears throat> a very similar trend, but kind of the, I'm curious on your thoughts. Like the way I look at it is I, I will intersperse some of these personal stories here and there. But I, and yes, they do generally like, you know, I post a photo of our daughter and it's like a million likes and all and whatever, all this stuff. And, you know, a whole bunch of people come into my network and things like that. Um, and sure they get to learn a little bit, something about me. Um, but then I'll still generally focus the majority of my content on kind of tangible marketing advice. And even though it, it won't get nearly as much engagement, what I do see pretty consistently is people going through our pipeline. They're the ones liking that content. People go, uh, people, uh, existing customers they're liking that kind of content because they'll always see it anyway but i'm able to bring in more people into my network through all this other stuff and then almost like use that as a funnel to get them to see the the things i want to educate them on that shows off like okay mike knows what he's talking about in terms of relationship marketing etc yeah exactly you bring up such a good point because and i i feel like the team at alice like we've talked about this before like they're just like you know I would say 95% of the content that I create is non-Alice stuff. 
um, and five percent, maybe even at times lower than that, is Alice specific. Like when we're, we're releasing um, brand new messaging on Monday um, of next week, and so we're going to be doing a huge like LinkedIn takeover on that. And it's like all Alice like focus. So they're like, you know, can you talk more about Alice? And I'm like, no, because I don't want to, because I don't want to come across as like too self-promotional because if someone wants to learn more about Alice, they can go follow the corporate handle. They can every, you know, we have a team that's posting stuff, you know, once or twice a day that is of value specifically to Alice. I said, I want people to understand more of me and build relationships with me so that when they do come into the pipeline, they're using me as a way like, you know, they love the content. They're learning about Alice because they've clicked my profile because they enjoy my content. And, you know, something that's interesting is in the last 90 days, you know how on LinkedIn it shows how many people has viewed your profile. So in the last 90 days, there's been 11,000 people. And that's been a rolling 90 day average for about, I would say close to a year now. Um, and so I know that every 90 days, 11,000 people are clicking my profile. The first thing that they're seeing is, oh, he works for Alice. That's interesting. What does Alice do? Goes and clicks like my, my the, the Alice thing in my profile. They say, oh, you know, hey, I am interested in gifting or direct mail. Um, you know, look, I like Nick as a person. Um, he seems to know what he's really talking about. You know, I'm going to fill out a demo request or I'm going to go message Nick and I'm going to say, hey, I would love to learn more. I don't know if it's the right, you know, the product that makes sense right now, but I'm open to exploring that. And like that's been the way that we've been able to drive so much pipeline organically without ever having to pay for a paid ad. I love that you brought that up because one of the things I was going to ask is whether you've seen or have a number in terms of correlation between since you've started working for Alice, uh, their uh, corporate handle follower growth. Because that's the big thing that we always talk about is, you know, if you if your people are active, like you said, the first thing that people generally do is they'll check out where you work. I mean, that's why we're on LinkedIn to a certain extent. Like that's, you know, where do people work? What do they do professionally? And that obviously takes them at least some portion of them into the corporate page and a certain portion of those people that go there will follow and so I don't, I don't know if you've looked at those numbers. Yeah, I have actually. Um, so I was actually running the corporate page from November of last year until the end of February. I've, you know, I, I treated it more like my, like my own LinkedIn page where like I was terrible at scheduling stuff. Like I just organically posted stuff that I thought would be fun. I didn't have a content calendar. I probably wasn't the best person to be running a page like that. Um, but the good news is when I took it over in November, we had 9,000 followers on that page. And by the end of February, we had, I think it was, I think it was close to 12,000 um, followers on that page. And now we have Christina. So she runs all of our paid and organic now, and she does a way better job than I ever could. But we, um, she was just presenting uh, yesterday and we're seeing tremendous growth, tremendous mentions, like not even stuff of, um, you know, just, you know, I do a, a event or podcast and someone tags Alice, like we're seeing so many people tag Alice as like a company to either like, you know, want to check out or work at, or like culture is amazing or the brand's amazing. And so I think we were seeing, I think it's about like a 3% month over month growth for the LinkedIn account. And our engagement is through the roof um, currently as well. And so 
what people, you know, it's not just myself, I've actually built a, a program internally where we're trying to get our employees to grow their own personal brands. And so if you take myself, so I'm driving a million impressions myself per month right now. Uh, we have a few other employees that drive a sizable amount as well. And if you get 20, 30 employees that are all doing content on their own on a regular basis, and you're driving 20, 30, 40 million views a year, like think about how much one, you would pay an ad spend for that. But two, like how much organic traffic you're going to drive to the, the corporate handle at some point because they know that you work there. And that's why I think we're seeing so much growth on the the you know the LinkedIn and we've only been focusing on like LinkedIn and Twitter as like the top two. We're gonna kind of go back into TikTok, um, Instagram, and Facebook in in the second half of the year. So I want I want to maybe pivot our conversation slightly because I think uh, I've been wanting to ask this question. You just gave me an in for it, which is thinking about whatever uh, CMO marketing executive. How do you create, first of all, how do you justify some sort of evangelism or employee advocacy, whatever you want to call a program? And then maybe talk about, since you've set one up for Alice, like what, what's that process like? What do you think a program like that needs to have? What are the must-haves and what are the yeah. maybe like don't-dos? Yeah, absolutely. So it was something that I was always passionate about. I thought a lot about like, what do I want to do in my career? Do I want to be a CMO? And the answer is no. Um, and so I think of people like, like Sangram from Terminus and Ethan Butte from BombBomb and like um, Randy from Uberflip. Like you have all these people that have evangelist type roles, but they're executives. And I always thought it was interesting. I was like, oh, you know, they get to be like the face for the company. They get to do all this cool stuff. Like people know them. They have a personal brand. It's very interesting. Like they created communities. Um, and I said, I, I went to my boss at the, um, and I was like, hey, I want to do this. And I said, I can show you the exact like impact that I think it's going to have. Like it was a little bit easier for me because I said, Look, in 2021, I drove $500,000 in pipeline just from posting on LinkedIn every single day. How do I know that? And honestly, I'm probably missing a big chunk because it was October of 2021. We switched over to our demo form of like, how did you hear about us? And we got rid of the drop down and made it a open text box, but it was a required question. So we didn't actually start getting like insights of like Nick Bennett, LinkedIn until October of last year. And however... I was tracking it by people just organically coming to me, DMing me, be like, hey, love what you do. We're looking for a tool like yours. Can you intro me to a salesperson? And so that's how I tracked that 500K, which 250K closed from it. Now, in theory, it's probably way higher than that, to be honest with you, because there was no real way outside of someone asking me to track it. However, in 2022, now that we're gonna hopefully have a full year, I should probably do a million dollars in pipeline from creating content organically on LinkedIn. My goal, hopefully close 50% of that, so 500K. Um, I am on track you know, month over month because currently I'm driving, I would say two to four inbound demo requests where they're specifically calling out my LinkedIn or a TikTok or that they know me from some community. Um, so I can kind of see and self-attribute all of those things to go back to our executive team and be like, hey, look, this is why I want to do this. Like, I want to help be the face for Alice. I am the ICP. Like, I should be 
uh, you know, able to go out and talk to our customers, our prospects, be the one that understands the platform inside and out, and hopefully build that brand loyalty so that people want to work with us. And so my boss at the time was like, all right, yeah, it's interesting. Like, why don't you put together a document, how you see it? And he's like, in conjunction, he's like, I want you to also think about retention. How can customer marketing play into this? Because there's such an overlap. And so I went back and I created, you know, a, a two tabs of like evangelism and customer marketing broke down. What was the high level, like goals that we were looking to do? What were the KPIs and metrics for that specific like play? And he said, all right, we're going to present it to the senior leadership team. Presented it. They were like, we absolutely love it. Yeah, let's do it. Um, and literally that's that it literally took like a whole, like half hour to be able to like present it, them immediately say yes. And then like, just figure out what that looks like. And I've been doing it now for about a month. So that's that piece of it. Um, I want to go into the, 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 um, advocacy part because part of that program that I was building out for like the evangelism role was I wanted to create or help employees build their own personal brand. I don't care if you're in finance, engineering, marketing, sales, whatever, like we're all playing the long game and we should be focused on, you know, yeah, Alice is amazing. We're not going to be at Alice forever. Like I, I joke because my mom's worked for Raytheon for like 43 years or something now. It's the only job she's ever had in her life. And she always tells me, you know, you're 35 you've had so many jobs. And I'm just like, mom, like things aren't the same as the way they used to be. Um, and so we're all playing that long game because we need our personal brands to never apply to a job again. We need to build it. And yeah, at the time, Alice is renting that personal brand from you because it's benefiting them as well. However, you're also setting yourself up for future success. And so I said, we're going to create this program where we're going to help people. And myself and Alexine Madoir, um, who's on our sales team, she's very strong in the sales space on LinkedIn. We got together and we said, all right, let's do this. We held a company-wide event. Uh, we had over a hundred people actually show up to it and want to learn about what one, what a personal brand is, the do's and don'ts, what to expect, how to create content. And we recorded that. Um, and then we created a Slack channel and we're using that as a way to, for employees to pop in, you know, brainstorm with us, talk about, you know, different things, give them ideas, use it as an amplification tool to also support them in like the content that they're creating. And we've been using Shield to track a smaller subset of employees, but I think there's 11 people that we're currently tracking on Shield. But like, I think in one month it drove close to like 4 million views um, organically from, from, from a LinkedIn perspective. So what would you say are the, I mean, you kind of gave me the, the broad strokes. What are the must-haves you think that a, that an advocacy program needs to have? I think it needs to have, you know, a clear, clear line to help people. Like you could say, all right, you know, here's how to create content. But if you're not supporting them through, we also have like office hours. So there's office hours, there's a Slack channel. We're also you know, encouraging people by asking the questions of like, Hey, you know, why don't you talk about this? Or why don't you talk about this? 
And a lot of people will come with ideas and like sometimes they feel a little bit shy because they don't want to post in like the Slack channel. So they wait till the office hours or like they'll Slack us like one off. Um, but just having the freedom to like be able to brainstorm with people and just realize that like, hey, like, yeah, this is a part of my job, but it's not like, you know, I'm a marketer still, but the company is okay with me in supporting me in having our employees build their personal brands as well. And so if you don't have the support from your your leadership team, you may run into issues. And honestly, it's probably, you know, if they're saying you shouldn't be posting on LinkedIn, it's probably not a place to be in general. Um, but that, that that was a huge one for us is, is the buy-in and support. I love that. You actually just gave me an idea for something we might do for, <laughs> for clients here. So, nice. um, we've been talking about doing like, uh, you know, uh, client mastermind groups and things like that. And I think we've, we have, we do so like, we have the Slack channel internally, but we've never really opened that up to, we wouldn't open that channel right. up to clients, but I am thinking like, okay, we could easily do office hours and Slack channel for our entire client base potentially and have them interact together, kind of build a, almost like an internal community. Exactly. Yeah. Plus it's like people networking with each other. You're, yep. yeah, it's like, it's massive and, you know, it's a part personal branding, but it's also, you know, who knows when jobs pop up, like people might mm -hmm. be in the, like, looking like I'm looking for so-and-so and like someone else that's a client of yours, but I know the perfect person. And it just turns into a bigger thing. I think at that point. Yep. No, totally. Um, well, this conversation was worthwhile just for that. Name. <laughs> <laughs> at least for me personally, hopefully, hopefully people listen and take away a lot more than that. But. I mean, you've kind of already talked about results at this point. So we, we've got that covered. Is there anything else that maybe I haven't asked you that you're itching to talk about in terms of, um, actually, you know what? I take that back. I don't know if you can talk about retention specifically. Obviously, mm -hmm. that's part of your big part of your role. And we talked about, you know, revenue generation and pipeline. But what about retention? Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a good point. So like I said, you know, I'm fairly new into this new role. But something that I realized often was like I was already talking to customers. And I know a lot of our competitors aren't doing this. But I am on, I would say, 7 to 10 customer calls a week right now. And what I'm being done or what I'm doing is more so brainstorming marketer to marketer. When you get on these, these customer calls or like these sales calls, you know, as a marketer, it's like, oh, you know, I'm talking to my CS person or an account manager. And it's like, you know, are they really trying to sell me or are they trying to help me? Um, you know, do they want to upsell me? But like, if I'm talking marketer to marketer, I feel like we understand the same thing. We're, you know, we're, we probably have a lot of the same goals, you know, budgets are being cut. Like, what can we do to maximize everything that we have? And those have gone over extremely well. And so really what I'm doing is just talking about experiences of like, hey, this is how I'm using the tool. This is how I can walk you through it. These are 10 campaigns that I ran in the last quarter or two that you can go and run yourself or a variation of that. Here's the exact metrics and successes and ROIs that I've seen from it. And when you give that information and you walk them through, I feel like it gives you a competitive edge as well. Um, and I feel like, you know, it made it something where, again, you connect on a deeper level. So when I go to create these customer stories or like I drove 50 G2 reviews recently in, in a two-week window um, because I started developing these relationships 
And when you go to ask, hey, you know, it's been really awesome working with you. Mind giving us a G2 review? Um, and you have like four people that you've been working with in that company. And, you know, you do it for multiple companies. And before you know it, two weeks, you drive 50. And these aren't terrible reviews. Like these are like, you know, social proof that like people would be dying for. Um, and so that was extremely well. And so something that I've been offering in addition to that, especially to the companies that are on the potential of like renewal or churn, um, is offering up personal branding help to the marketers that I'm working with. So like, yeah, I'll walk you through exactly how to use the tool, help you out, brainstorm like all day. But in addition to that, like, let's talk about how, because a lot of times they'll be like, oh, I've seen you on LinkedIn or like, I know you from so-and-so, like, it's really great to finally meet you. Like, you've done a great job building your personal brand. And I'm like, absolutely. Like, why don't I help you as well? Like, you know, we can talk about Alice and stuff, but let's talk about your future and how to help you so you never have to apply to a job again. And like, I've offered that, I think in the last month, I've offered that to like six companies um, and, uh, honestly, none of them have churned. Um, they've all actually loved it. And it's more so of just a sounding board for others, like spending time with them. Like if I have to jump on a call once a month for 30 minutes with, you know, a team of people to kind of help them, like that's worth it for me if I'm saving a $50,000 deal. Yeah. There's something interesting you brought up that I want to highlight. You, know, you talked about, Oh, well, I'm, I'm talking to sales. I'm talking to CS. Are they trying to sell me this and the other? I think that that sentiment, that kind of automatic defensiveness we all get when a salesperson reaches out to us is the exact reason why personal brands are that much more important for those people. Yep. Because their job is so much harder, right? Because I mean, I've compared the, what well, I do outreach then versus our biz dev person does outreach. Me having a CEO title at, at my company and, the, and all the content that I have on my profile and all the stuff I've shared, the defenses are generally much more down versus somebody with a biz dev title or so, or if, again, if it's an existing customer with a CS title or a client success title, whatever, any of those. Yep. I think that that's that further proof of that's why you need to be doing this. Exactly. And that's why I think that, you know, I think that it starts from the top and you mentioned a good point because I feel like, um, there was a recent survey that I was reading and um, it was saying, what was it? It was like 82% of people said they're more likely to trust a company when their senior executives are active on social media. And 77% of consumers are more likely to buy when the CEO of the business uses social media. Like if those aren't numbers that will offer like that competitive edge for you, like I don't know what else like people need. Yeah, Definitely. Well, Nick, I know we're, we're at the top of the hour here. I know you've got kids to pick up, so I don't want to take up any more of your time. Uh, this was awesome. We didn't get to our uh, lightning round, but I very much appreciate your time. Where, I mean, obviously people can find you on LinkedIn. I don't know if you want to share anything else that you're doing for people to find you? Yeah, absolutely. So LinkedIn is definitely the spot. Um, you can also uh, find me. I'm starting a brand new newsletter. Just posted about it today. Myself and Arthur Costa. Castillo from Chili Piper, starting a, a marketing community and personal branding newsletter. Um, so feel free to, to check that out. And I also have a podcast called Rep Your Brand that is for B2B marketers that are looking to build a, a strong career through personal branding and open doors that they never thought were possible. So find that on Apple or Spotify as well. Awesome. Nick Bennett, the personal branding guy. <laughs> Thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. 
Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Master Marketer Show. We'll be back next week with more B2B marketing success stories. Visit our website, www.proofpoint.marketing, for the full episode library complete with show notes, guides, templates, and more. Make sure to follow Proofpoint Marketing on LinkedIn and YouTube so you never miss an episode. Listen every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.